Welcome, I'm Prudence Robertson, and this is EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. Surge of pro-life laws. We take a look at Republican-led states making progress to defend the unborn by advancing new laws that limit abortions. We're joined by EWTN contributor and former EWTN Pro-Life Weekly host, Catherine Hadro, and state policy director at the Susan B. Anthony List, Sue Liebel. Pro-abortion media targets medical field. A recent AP article claims an increase in pro-life laws nationwide has led to a lack of options for medical students who want to become abortionists. I speak out against their claim that abortion is healthcare. Helping mothers in need. A pro-life organization in Florida is preparing for its 24-hour fundraising event aimed at helping mothers and children. We speak to Scott Bayer, CEO of Community Pregnancy Clinics, who tells us why you should consider donating. Several Republican-led states are passing a wave of new pro-life laws, making progress to limit abortions and protect the unborn. This, as the country awaits the critical decision in the Dobbs versus Jackson case from the U.S. Supreme Court, now just months away. There we go. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is the latest Republican governor to limit abortions. This will represent uh, the most significant protections for life that have been enacted in this state in a generation. Florida's new law makes the state one of several, including Arizona, Kentucky, and Mississippi, to limit most abortions after 15 weeks. And in Oklahoma... Pro-abortion protests flared after lawmakers approved a near-total ban on abortion. We want to outlaw abortion in the state of Oklahoma. Oklahoma's new law makes performing an abortion a felony, punishable by up to 10 years in state prison, a fine as high as $100,000 or both, with no exceptions for rape or incest. Pro-abortion advocates there argue that this new limit on abortions is a result of momentum on the national level to protect more babies from death by abortion, in particular by the Supreme Court. Last year, the Supreme Court upheld Texas's heartbeat law, which limits most abortions after about six weeks of pregnancy. In response, at least eight other states moved to enact similar bills that protect babies from abortion as soon as you can hear their heartbeat. Oh, yay, oh, yay, oh, yay. The Supreme Court is now poised to issue what could be its most consequential decision on abortion in nearly 50 years. The justices will issue a ruling by the end of June on Mississippi's Gestational Age Act, and will answer the question of whether or not this 15-week limit on abortion is in fact constitutional. A favorable ruling in this case could mean that state legislators will have more power to pass humane, common-sense laws protecting babies earlier in pregnancy. If the Supreme Court lets the law stand, it would overturn the precedent set by Roe v. Wade, which currently mandates abortion on demand with no limits. States like Florida, Arizona, and Kentucky, by advancing 15-week limits on abortion, are signaling they believe the court will rule in favor of Mississippi's law. It's also possible the Supreme Court could strike down Roe v. Wade completely, clearing the way for states to pass any and all laws protecting the unborn. And joining me now to discuss is our show's founding host and EWTN News contributor, Catherine Hadro, and Sue Liebel, State Policy Director at the Susan B. Anthony List. 
Ladies, thank you so much for being with me today. I hear you were both in Florida to celebrate the signing of this law with Governor DeSantis. Catherine, Florida is your home state. Yeah. Tell me about what the energy was like there. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm sure Sue can attest to this as well. There was so much excitement. It was palpable. <laughs> 500 to 700 people, it's estimated, were in there, packed into this bill signing. Wow. People who were involved in this legislation have been hoping for this and praying for this for a long time. And I will tell you, this feeling that was there was like, finally, finally we got this across the finish line. I think people, many viewers, might be surprised to hear that Florida has long allowed and permitted late-term abortion up until this point. Mm -hmm. um, people would be surprised to hear that because there have been pro-life Republican governors sitting in you know, the governor's chair for many years now, and yet it's taken this long to get late-term abortion banned in the state starting July 1st. So this is huge, great news, a feeling of relief and great celebration. Yes, yes. And Sue, to that point, despite the fact that Florida is a fairly conservative pro-life state, it's also been ranked to have the third highest number of late-term abortions in recent years among the states that report. Can you explain how that could be possible and how this new law is hopefully going to change that? I know it's shocking, isn't it? Um, it's been something that we have been trying to talk to the legislature there for several years now. And I think the Dobbs case bolstered them into action this year with the, the idea that the Supreme Court may be, um, you know, hearing, maybe overturning Roe or changing mm. abortion as we know it in the United States. So I think that gave them some courage. There's a couple things going on there. One is, uh, though, we have to recognize that the Florida State Supreme Court, so the Supreme Court of the state of Florida, made a bad decision, in my opinion, uh, many years ago and found the right to privacy in that state. So it's been hard for the legislature since then to pass more restrictions on abortion in the state of Florida. So it has to do with the standing court decision in that state. I would also tell you that while there have been, uh, Catherine mentioned, there have been Republican governors, um, it's actually been the legislature that maybe is a little bit, little bit more moderate on the subject of abortion. I see. Not so this this year, however, I, I, I have to say I've watched this for four years at least. I've watched every step this year, and they found their muscle. They found their voice. And the House and Senate in Florida, the members of the legislature, really, really worked hard to get mm. this passed. Mm. And they really found their pro-life voice this year. I'm very proud of the work that they did, and I hope to see more from them yes, in the future. so important and so good. And Catherine, you recently spoke with these state legislators in Florida, talking to them about how they pushed forward this bill, how they, you know, sort of bucked these Supreme Court precedents in passing this bill. Tell me what you heard from them. Yes, it was very insightful. And I recently had the chance to interview Representative Aaron Grawl, who is the state representative who sponsored this, and Great. State Senator Kelly Stargell, who was the Senate sponsor of this bill. And something um, that came up a lot in speaking with people behind the scenes who are working on this legislation was what Sue mentioned, was that state Supreme Court precedent, that in Florida there's this so-called constitutional right to privacy that has long been interpreted to protect abortion in the state. Here's the difference now. Governor DeSantis has recently appointed three Florida State Supreme Court justices onto the bench. And so when this law goes into effect July 1st, many people are expecting there will be a lawsuit that takes us to the courts. But this time, people are hopeful that this uh, constitutional right to privacy will be interpreted differently into the state. But these legislatures, they echo that this was a team effort to get this across the finish line. And there's a lot of hope and optimism regarding the state Supreme Court.
Love it. And Sue, could you speak to the role of state legislators as a whole on this issue of abortion? How does the work that these legislators do in states like Florida, Arizona, Mississippi, how does it impact the national conversation? Actually, um, what a lot of people may not realize is it impacts the actual conversation itself. You know, Roe versus Wade, we all think about the United States Supreme Court. But the, if, if they overturn that, they'll give it back to the states, and it will be, in fact, the state legislators who will be making this decision. That is the legislative body, the lawmaking body of every state. So the, the state legislators, and, and as you've noticed, in Florida and these other states that you've mentioned, they've already thrown down the gauntlet and started going right after Roe versus Wade. So we've got heartbeat bills. We've got trigger laws. We've got all kinds of bans for discrimination and folks with disabilities. We have been pushing for the past few years. You can tell it's not settled, mm -hmm. uh, but it will be at the state legislature level where each state then would need to decide if it's going to make abortion legal, legal or illegal after Roe versus Wade goes down. Right. And what's really notable, what both of you are saying is that despite the fact that we're still waiting for a decision in the Dobbs case, states are passing pro-life laws left and right. I want to ask you both briefly just about this culture change that we're seeing. What do you think the future is going to look like in America when it comes to abortion? Well, I think that um, you're already starting to see uh, states take a side um, and prepare if Roe is overturned. And so, unfortunately, there are states that are doing just the opposite, that are making it more legal and more accessible and paid for by taxpayer dollars. It's just shameful. Then there are the states that we've been talking about that would be limiting or uh, completely uh, outlawing abortion. And so, so the other thing that I wanted to mention that I'm seeing states doing, besides choosing sides, is they're also starting to enhance or support or give more funding to services for women and babies and children and families. So they're realizing that if they do overturn Roe, that they want at, in their state to be able to be supportive of family, uh, family for formation mm -hmm. and for good health and safety for women and children. Mm. And Catherine, we have about a moment left, but I want to hear from you on yes, this. Yes, just to echo on that, it's going to vary state by state. Every state is going to look differently. It's about to be a whole new world, this possible post-Roe world um, landscape that the pro-life movement needs to be prepared for, which makes your work all the more important, <laughs> and also Sue's work at the state level. Yes. Well, thank you so much, ladies, for joining me today. Catherine Hadro of EWTN News and Sue Liebel of the Susan B. Anthony List. Thank you. Thank you. An update from D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser gives no indication that the city medical examiner intends to perform an autopsy on the remains of the five aborted babies found by members of the progressive anti-abortion uprising. Pro-life Republican lawmakers on Capitol Hill called on the D.C. mayor to investigate the death of the children whose bodies were handed over to the D.C. Metropolitan Police a few weeks ago. Mayor Bowser instead issued a letter saying that one of the pro-life advocates, not the abortionist who is brutally killing babies each day, may have broken federal law. Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma reacted to her response, writing, quote, Mayor Bowser thinks revealing the death of children is a crime, not taking the lives of children. Where are the babies? Coming up, a new report claims medical students should be learning how to be abortionists and that resources to do so are scarce. I speak out. Plus, a pro-life organization in Florida is preparing for its 24-hour fundraising event aimed at helping mothers in need. We have the details next.
Welcome back to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. The Associated Press is perpetuating the idea that abortion is health care. That is this week's Speak Out segment. A recent AP article is titled, Abortion Training Under Threat for Med Students. The piece suggests that the recent surge in pro-life laws we have been discussing on this show has resulted in a lack of resources for budding med students who want to know how to perform abortions. The piece attempts to equate the killing of babies by abortion with real, necessary medical procedures, such as appendectomies and colonoscopies. One abortionist interviewed referred to abortion as a normal in-house procedure for patients seeking treatment. The author also insinuates that medical students should be required to go through abortion training during their schooling or residency programs, and that, quote, all physicians should be willing and able to provide information about abortion to their patients. Members of the media and abortionists should be ashamed of themselves for trying to indoctrinate young medical professionals about abortion. They should not be guilting medical schools into labeling abortion as just another simple medical procedure. Many doctors have definitively stated that abortion is a complete violation of their Hippocratic oath to do no harm, because when caring for a pregnant mother, a doctor has two patients, mom and baby. The bottom line, abortion is not health care. A mandate to teach doctors how to perform abortions would be a mandate to kill the lives they are entrusted to protect. Community Pregnancy Clinics in Florida is launching a 24-hour fundraiser next week. That is this week's Pro-Life Focus. This virtual fundraiser is happening for 24 hours only from Tuesday, April 26th to Wednesday, April 27th. The proceeds from this dollar-to-dollar -dollar match event will immediately go to providing expectant mothers with life-affirming resources such as ultrasounds, abortion pill reversal, and information about adoption. You can join in the fundraiser on April 26th by going to www.supportcpci.com for instructions on how to donate. And joining me now to discuss this is Scott Bayer, CEO of Community Pregnancy Clinics. Scott, thanks for joining us. Tell us about the work of Community Pregnancy Clinics in the Sunshine State. What is your statewide impact? Yes, thank you so much, Prudence. Uh, we are one of the original 13 pro-life pregnancy clinics that formed in 1974 after the Roe v. Wade decision. And since then, we've gone from a volunteer organization to a full medical model where we have five uh, office clinics and two mobile medical clinics. And in addition to all the services that we provide on the medical level, um, you know, we're really trying to go where women are, right? So we go to universities and colleges with our mobile clinics. And of course, technology is bringing us to the women, um, but also, you know, we have a real good, uh, strong presence at the University of Florida in Gainesville, mm. where with Pam Stenzel, one of our staff is working with a SHARE program, sexual health and relationship education. Again, trying to go to where the women are Planned Parenthood knows their market, and so do we. So it's the 15 to 24-year-old women that we're really trying to reach with our, our Mercy model. Mm. And give us some more information about this fundraiser that's happening next week. What would you say to someone who's considering donating to the cause? Yeah, you know, I always say, you know, if women feel lovable, they're going to be love-able. And so we can't do what we do without support. And, um, you know, we look at abortion is on the income side, but compassion is on the expense side. So everything we do is free. We provide three years of material services for the women after the baby's born. We walk with the woman. And of course, that takes resources. We know Planned Parenthood is well-funded. 
uh, I think there's four, uh, maybe $400 billion given each year to charity. And unfortunately, the pro-life movement only gets a small fraction of that, while Planned Parenthood is getting lots of government dollars. So we're up against big pharma, big tech, big government, uh, big university, and we're doing all we do with private donations. So uh, people can go to supportcpci.com and make a donation. They can register in advance as well before them. Mm, that's wonderful. And can you speak a little bit about your uh, personal role at Community Pregnancy Clinics? What inspires you to work with this organization and to meet women where they're at, like you're saying? Yeah, so I'm the CEO. I've been on the job for 10 months. I came from an education background and um, I always use uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's uh, famous quote when he said, silence in the face of evil is silence itself. God will not hold us blameless. Uh, to not act is to act and to not speak is to speak. Mm -hmm. So again, we're just trying to be the, the arms and the hands and the voice of Christ for these women as they come to our doors. And um, I think it's uh, one probably the most important thing we can do uh, in, you know, in, in opposition to the greatest human rights abuse of our day. Mm, amen. And I want to get your thoughts on the fact that abortion is a topic that's currently front and center in politics and in policy, going all the way up to the Supreme Court with the Dobbs case. How does this impact the work that you all are doing on the ground for the people of Florida each day? Absolutely. Yeah, we're blessed. HB5 just passed here in Florida. A lot of people don't realize that Florida is the third uh, we have the third most abortions in the country after California and New York. So this is really a hotspot for, um, you know, for, for pro-life versus abortion activities. But again, the 15-week bill is great. We should celebrate. I thank Governor DeSantis and the state legislature that passed that. But as we know, 80% of all abortions happen before uh, 15 weeks. So we can't keep our eye off the ball. We want to go to that, uh, you know, um, from conception to natural death, uh, protecting life, and we're moving towards that. So it's an exciting time to be part of the uh, of the pro-life movement. And last, I would just say, you know, like uh, policy and law is really downstream from culture. And so this is a matter of the heart, and we're trying to go every day to reach the hearts and minds of those that we care for. And, uh, you know, that's how we're going to uh, end abortion, one life at a time. And we have about a moment left. What would you say to a woman in Florida who finds herself pregnant and does not know where she should go? Yeah, I think the biggest thing we could say is that we are here, not only us, but other great organizations. There's so many resources out there to help you make the decision that's best for you and your baby. Um, so don't make a decision without seeing what resources are available, because we're here for you and other great organizations are here for you as well. And, and, and together we can walk through whatever crisis you're going through. Mm. Thank you, Scott, so much for speaking with us. A reminder to our viewers to go to www.supportcpci.com to donate during next week's fundraiser. And that does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Until next time, we'd love to hear from you. Find us on social media at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. You can also send us a message by emailing prolifeweekly at EWTN.com. We love to hear from you. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.